Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings, I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to Finding Home. It's a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. I've said several times during this series that the growth of the Cleveland Catholic Diocese can be a marker for the presence of Irish people in our city. It's time to check in again on the status of the Irish parish under Bishop Ignatius Horstman from 1892 to 1908. Nationality had been a charged topic for both of Horstman's predecessors. Bishop Rapp and Bishop Gilmore each had an Irish problem with either priests or parishioners. Horstman, who was of German descent, tried to neutralize the topic of nationality by ignoring it or insisting it was no longer relevant. He proclaimed in his first public sermon, quote, I know no nationality and never shall, end quote. Bishop Gilmore had created the Catholic Central Association as a way of keeping Irish community leadership under diocesan control, kicking off a decades-long power struggle. But Bishop Horseman allowed the Catholic Central Association to wither away slowly and quietly. By the early 1890s, many of the city's Irish community leaders were weary from tangling with Bishop Gilmore in any event. They had decided to go their own way even before Bishop Horseman arrived on the scene. The ancient order of Hibernians took the lead in shifting the city's annual St. Patrick's Day celebration away from downtown for the most part, and away from diocesan control. On St. Patrick's Day in the 1890s and for many decades after, the Hibernians and their friends marched most frequently to St. Patrick's Parish on Bridge on the west side. Nationality demographics were also changing in the Cleveland Diocese. In the 1890s, immigrants were pouring in from more countries than ever before. Though new Irish immigrants also continued to arrive, they jostled for a place with Italian and Eastern European Catholics as well. The 1890s were also tough times economically. The years 1893 to 1896 marked the longest and most severe economic depression that the country had yet known. There were more and more people competing for jobs here. The population of Cleveland almost tripled from nearly 93,000 in 1870 to more than 261,000 in 1890. Of the 30 new churches that were founded during Bishop Horseman's tenure, 22 were so-called nationality parishes, serving new ethnic groups. Horsemen simply couldn't focus on the Irish and Germans to the extent that his predecessors had. Unlike Bishop Gilmore, Bishop Horseman didn't quarrel with the Irish. He simply asserted new priorities. The timing of St. Patrick's Day had always presented a problem for the church calendar. When St. Patrick's Day fell on a Sunday, a holy day, the event had to be celebrated on a Monday. Catholics were supposed to abstain from meat on Fridays throughout the year. When March 17th fell on a Friday, meat had to be avoided at evening banquets. When the date fell during Lent, as it often did, the celebratory mood of the day was at odds with both the repentant tone of the Lenten season 
and the requirements for daily fasting during Lent. In the waning days of Bishop Gilmore's tenure, the Catholic Central Association had launched an Easter Monday banquet. The timing of an Easter Monday banquet bypassed Lenten and Friday restrictions altogether. Bishop Horseman embraced the Easter banquet concept. On a practical level, it forced Catholic groups to focus in early spring on organizing for Easter rather than for St. Patrick's Day. Throughout the 19th century, the St. Patrick's Day parade had been the community's preeminent way of expressing Irish pride. Irish pride was often intertwined with support for Irish nationhood, but the goal of nationhood had proved elusive. The tide of nationalist activity ebbed and flowed, ebbing in the 1890s. In Ireland, there was disagreement about whether to put energy into incremental progress toward home rule or to go all in on armed rebellion. The supporters of armed rebellion went underground, both in Ireland and the U.S., plotting for the right time. Meanwhile, nationalist sentiment fed an Irish cultural and literary revival. In Cleveland, the local community leaders who had championed the Irish Literary and Benevolent Association and the Land League movement were passing away in the 1890s and the early 1900s. Many of the Irish immigrants of the early 1880s had arrived in Cleveland in poverty. They had not yet gained community standing as leaders, so there was a leadership vacuum. With tacit approval from the diocese, the community fell back again on Irish parishes as a focal point for Irish identity and pride. The Catholic Universe, the diocesan newspaper, championed parish-based activities on St. Patrick's Day as opposed to a large downtown parade. Diocesan messaging stressed St. Patrick's Day as a saint's feast day and prioritized attendance at Mass. In the evening, as the Catholic Universe noted in 1895, the day was, and I quote, appropriately celebrated with social, musical, and literary entertainments, end quote. Year after year in the 1890s, such events were announced for all the English-speaking parishes, both the ones that are still familiar today as well as those long closed. St. John's Cathedral, St. Patrick's, St. Malachy's, Holy Name, Immaculate Conception, St. Augustine's, St. Coleman's, St. Bridget's, Annunciation, and St. Edward's. In 1896, for instance, the Marquette Club and Young Ladies' Sodality presented a four-act play about Robert Emmett at the Cathedral Parish on St. Patrick's Day. At St. Malachy's, the LaSalle Club performed Fitzgerald, the Irish Outlaw, which was described in The Plain Dealer as a, quote, romantic Irish drama, end quote. Holy Names Irving Literary Club presented a five-act drama titled Shannon Boys. The emphasis on cultural events was notable for several reasons. In the parish halls of Cleveland, Ohio, the city's Irish community was actually partaking real-time in the turn-of-the-century literary revival that was sweeping Ireland itself. The plays and concerts also allowed the Irish to present themselves with a level of education and cultural refinement to the city at large. Bishop Gilmore had not approved of lay people organizing the Irish Literary and Benevolent Association in the 1870s, but now educated Irish priests were happy to introduce the latest plays to their parishioners, and parishes and pastors were happy to be associated with displays of cultural aspiration. 
English-speaking Catholic parishes were still typically run by Irish priests well into the 1890s and for many decades later. Bishop Gilmore had bowed to demographics in his appointments, more willingly than Bishop Rapp had. When Father Joseph Gallagher, pastor of Holy Name Parish, died at a fairly young age in 1886, Gilmore had readily appointed Father John T. Carroll in Gallagher's place. As Gilmore's successor, Bishop Horseman may have preferred a post-nationality approach to appointments, but he followed Gilmore's suit, at least at first. Horseman brought back Father Thomas Thorpe, now Monsignor Thorpe, to Immaculate Conception Parish in 1893. He appointed Father James O'Leary to succeed Father O'Callaghan at St. Coleman's in 1901. Father John McHale to succeed Father Maloney at St. Malachy's in 1903, and so on. By the 1890s, Irish pastors were helping to fulfill the spiritual, educational, and cultural needs of their immigrant flocks. But even during the horseman years, one of their fundamental tasks was still to build and manage large physical plants. The 1890s parish involved a large stone or brick church, one or more school buildings, a rectory where the priests lived, and a convent for the nuns who taught in the parish school. When Father Carroll of Holy Name died in 1913, his plain dealer obituary noted that when he arrived, he, quote, found that few of the children went past the fifth grade in the parochial school. Through the system he installed, 55 to 60 pupils yearly passed through the ninth grade, end quote. To accommodate a growing parish and children staying in school longer, Father Carroll oversaw the construction of a second parish school building and a school auditorium that was dedicated in 1906. Father Carroll became a staunch community advocate as well as a religious leader. He served as longtime president of the South End Improvement League, promoting the establishment of public parks, improved street layouts, and railroad routes and crossings, and the construction of the Harvard-Denison Bridge. Father William McMahon, pastor of St. Bridget's Parish, epitomized the Irish pastor as builder, even as he exemplified some of the pitfalls. Father McMahon's tenure as pastor spanned several of the city's most rapidly growing decades. He was born in County Wicklow in Ireland in 1847 and came to Cleveland with his parents in 1850. Ordained in Cleveland in 1872, he was appointed pastor of St. Bridget's Parish in 1876. Though St. Bridget's had had a resident priest since 1864, for a variety of reasons it didn't have a permanent church yet when McMahon arrived. It was in the Central Avenue area. While paying down a parish debt of $4,000, Father McMahon motivated the parishioners to start work on building a church themselves. As the history of Catholicity reported, the parishioners, and I quote, turned out at night and by the light of a locomotive headlight, wheeled out the dirt from the basement, end quote. The first brick was laid on May 1, 1877, but the edifice took about 10 years to build. That's because it was a very ambitious structure. Unfortunately, it no longer stands today. The marble altar boasted a carved relief in imitation of da Vinci's Last Supper. The church decoration included artistic stained glass windows, an array of oil paintings, a set of framed Stations of the Cross, and a pipe organ with 2,100 pipes. Father McMahon then added a school building, a 
According to the history of Catholicity, the school had, and I quote, the latest and best furniture and all the modern improvements in the way of heating and ventilation. Half the rooms are furnished with slate blackboards, end quote. Father McMahon was a vigorous defender of the Catholic Church and particularly of Catholic education. He was a national temperance officer. His sermons on a wide variety of topics were regularly reported in The Plain Dealer. He was appointed editor of the Catholic Universe in 1899 and joined the Bishop's Council in 1903. At the time of McMahon's Silver Jubilee in 1897, 60 priests of the diocese attended a celebration, and his parishioners raised money to fund a six-month's absence for a trip around the world. Despite his spiritual and intellectual attainments, however, McMahon was also a man of business. In 1909, financier P.J. Kieran approached him about a grand plan to offer low-interest loans for parish building projects across the country. These projects would then be built by a construction company that Kieran was also investing in. As a fellow priest later told the plain dealer, and I quote, Father McMahon was enlisted under his banner only when convinced that the projects would prove of benefit to the institutions concerned, end quote. Kieran somehow convinced McMahon to co-sign several very large loans. Kieran overextended himself, whether because he was overly optimistic or because he had a fraudulent intent. It was never quite sorted out. But McMahon ended up on the hook for the loans. McMahon had to file personal bankruptcy. As the plain dealer reported, and I quote, so heavily involved was the priest that he could not retain even his personal belongings from the wreck. Even the watch and chain presented to him as gifts went the way of his other goods. End quote. McMahon was forced to step down as pastor of St. Bridget's Parish and was exiled to St. Patrick's Parish way out in today's West Park. Bishop Horseman did not usually disrupt the parish fiefdoms of strong Irish pastors, but he might have preferred a multinationality parish model. A short-lived attempt at a mixed-nationality parish had been tried and failed earlier. In 1863, Catholics living along Woodland Avenue began attending Mass in the chapel of St. Joseph's Orphan Asylum. A rotating crew of cathedral assistants and seminary teachers said Mass for them until permission for a parish was granted in 1871. The German-speaking Father Jacob Kuhn took the assignment as first resident priest of what was then called Holy Family Parish. As the History of Catholicity reported, Father Kuhn, quote, gathered his polyglot congregation composed of Irish, Germans, Bohemians, and a few Poles, end quote. However, the German parishioners soon asked to organize their own German-speaking parish. A split was granted in 1880, with Father Matthew Scanlon being tapped to organize the new English-speaking parish of St. Edward on Woodland Avenue. Father Scanlon was born to Irish parents in 1830 in Huntington, Pennsylvania. In true Irish pastor fashion, Scanlon immediately started working on a church building. St. Edward's on the east side was founded in the same year as St. Coleman's on the west side. Both parishes had pastors of Irish birth or descent. The two pastors, Fathers Scanlon and O'Callaghan, had actually been seminary classmates. 
However, the two parishes evolved differently. St. Coleman's filled up with recent immigrants, but St. Edward's and other so-called East End parishes drew second-generation sons and daughters of earlier famine immigrants. Some of those other parishes included St. Agnes, located at East 79th in Euclid, which was carved out of the East End of Immaculate Conception in 1893. The northeast portion of Immaculate Conception went to make up St. Thomas Aquinas in 1898. The same year, the mission of St. Aloysius opened on St. Clair in the Glenville area. St. Philomena was formed in East Cleveland in 1902. Bishop Horseman appointed pastors of Irish descent to most of these new Eastside parishes. However, Father Nelson Callahan observed in his book, Irish Americans and Their Communities of Cleveland, and I quote, In spite of the fact that all these parishes were mostly Irish in makeup, they were American in style. Perhaps a major contributing cause for this was the fact that these new parishes also embraced the American-born children from the German parishes of the East Side. End quote. Callahan singled out Father Gilbert Jennings of St. Agnes Parish as a pastor of Irish descent who embraced the Americanizing enterprise. As Callahan noted, Father Jennings, and I quote, urged his parishioners to become involved in the professions, in government, in social leadership, and to bring to these enterprises a Christian presence. Many of them did this, and in doing so, doomed Father Jennings' parish. End quote. They continued to move out and up to St. Anne's Parish in Cleveland Heights, for instance. Similarly, on the west side, St. Ignatius of Antioch, which was founded in 1902 on Lorraine Street, was drawn up from the start to serve American-born children of Irish and German immigrants, for the most part. When the term English-speaking was applied to St. Ignatius Parish, it now signified an American parish, not an Irish one however many Irish families became members. So today I'd like you to remember a couple of late 19th century Irish pastors who are new to our story. Father John Carroll of Holy Name, Father William McMahon of St. Bridget's Parish. In their capacities as builders and business entrepreneurs, they helped to create the Irish parish as a haven and home for their immigrant flocks. But don't forget Father Gilbert Jennings, who pioneered a new model at St. Agnes, of an immigrant people moving into the mainstream. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.